This week, I had the opportunity to chat with my good friend and mentor, Adam Goodwin. He's a pediatric dentist and the first medical practitioner we've had on the podcast. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm here with my uh, good friend and mentor, Adam Goodwin. Adam, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, I know. I've been looking forward to having you on the podcast here. I talk about you all the time. You're like one of the people that I say is like the reason I've chosen the career path that I have because I got to know you and what you do. Oh, oh well, that, I mean, I'm glad to, well, I hope you have good thoughts about me. I hope it's good things. Yeah, it's always, always good things about you coming from me. Okay. So you're a pediatric dentist, correct? Correct. So um, what got you into that field? Like what made you choose to work on the teeth of kids? The teeth of kids, that's a good question. Um, I'll try and give you kind of the condensed version. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it, but um, so when I got out of high school, uh, I originally wanted to go to art school in college. And uh, I went for a year and I enjoyed it. Uh, I did enjoy art school and I had some talent. I'd say I was like middle tier, like I'm not, I'm not like a great artist or anything, but I really enjoyed it like putting the work in for it. Um, but after, I don't know, the first year of that, I just realized, I don't know if the modern art world is where I want to spend like the rest of my life. Uh, I wanted something a little more, you know, purpose and people driven. And, and so I was kind of contemplating whether I was going to stick with, with art school or not. I figured I'd find it to become a professor or, I don't know, I probably was going to make a living as an artist. Yeah, uh, I just didn't. I just didn't want to. I don't know. I didn't want to have to deal with with trying to figure out where I fit into the modern art world and, and try and make a living doing that. And uh, then I went on a mission for the LDS Church uh, to Thailand for two years. I served as a missionary there and uh, kind of put everything on hold. Had that experience. That was a really great experience. Uh, I kind of saw a part of the world I'd never even imagined. Met a lot of people. And in the last area I was in, I lived in a little town in northern Thailand called Chiang Rai, which is just north of Chiang Mai. And um, one of the other missionaries there uh, that I spent a lot of time with, his his dad was a dentist and his brother was going to med school. And we talked about some of the stuff that um, we were interested in and kind of like, you know, things that we wanted to do with our lives and, and one of the things that he recommended is like, you should go to dental school. If you like art, you should go to dental school. And uh, I just never thought of that as something I would do, but uh, you know, I looked into it. I got home, found a, a, a dentist in the area that my parents were friends with and shadowed him and went to dental school. And then halfway through dental school, I realized I really didn't enjoy working uh, on adult teeth, uh, but I did enjoy working with kids. And that was a lot of fun. And I just found it to be more rewarding for me. And it just kind of went from there. Uh, so what was it about adult teeth that got you like disinterested in that? Um, I would say with adult teeth, like you're just fighting the inevitable, you know, like, you know, they're going to uh, not all adults, but but most most adults, you know, that uh, you're you're just fighting time. I mean, time always wins, you know, um, teeth get worn down, they break, they get cavities, you got to do root canals, you got to pull teeth, and it just was like a never-ending battle. And um, ultimately, um, we had to, I had to make a decision, like, am am I going to work on something that, that I feel like I'm always losing against or not? And adults are like, I don't know, not all adults, but a lot of adults that I worked on were cranky, you know, like they come in, they just want to get their teeth clean. They want you to tell them, hey, you know, these teeth are fantastic. Good job. Or we're going to fix one or two. But a lot of the times they come in and you have to break a lot of bad news to them and say, hey, look, you know, you got this and that and this and that. And it's going to be this much money. And it's going to be this much time. And if you don't do this, you don't do that. Like these are the outcomes. And it, it, it didn't always create like a, a rewarding experience for me, especially. Um, whereas kids, you know, like, you can patch them up, say, hey, look, this tooth is good to go. 
until it falls out and uh, you know we got rid of the the cavities you know your teeth look good here's some stickers here's some balloons um kids are much more open to like a fun experience than adults adults want like this professional kind of cut and dry pat on the back um whereas kids they really don't come in with any expectations they just want to have a good time and uh, uh i kind of identified with that uh more so than working with cranky adults yeah i i could see that I, as yeah. an adult myself or at least learning how to be an adult i definitely yeah. When I go to a place, I'm looking for a more professional, right. straight shooting uh, yeah. event. Um, so what did you go to um, for your undergrads? Because I know you have to get a bachelor's to get into dental school. So yeah. what, what was that like? Uh, I went to the University of Georgia and got a degree in biology, I think. <laughs> That's how important it was. I think it was biology. Um, I don't even think I got a, a minor in anything. I think I thought about it and messed around with it, but I just got tired of trying to fulfill the requirements for a minor. I don't even know why they have minors, to be honest. Um, yeah, I went to I went to school for that. I went to school for a year in art school. Most of that didn't really transfer over into the sciences, but uh, I had some credits coming out of high school, anyways, from AP courses. So it, I didn't fall too far behind doing that switching over. But um, yeah, college was all right. I didn't. I don't think I really had a lot of fun. You know, studying a lot. I was working part time. I did get married in college, uh, and that's worked out really well. I really have a great marriage, and I've enjoyed that that aspect of life. Uh, but no, my wife and I we worked and studied most of the time, and we were poor, and you know, we didn't have a lot of money. We scrimped and saved, and borrow a lot of money to, to get through it. But uh, I think if I had one piece of advice to give anybody, you know, not my best work being the topic here, uh, I think I would have not been in such a rush to get through all of that. Um, it's hard. You know, you want to get through it and you want to get to the, the end of that cycle in life and start working and making money and doing all that stuff. But I wish I had kind of taken a few more opportunities to say, hey, you know what? We can we can take a little more time to get through all of this, um, and while we do that, let's you know let's squeeze in some some stuff we maybe won't get to do later. Yeah, I I kind of feel like that's gonna apply to me because I have it's like with my student loans, I kind of have an obligation to right finish in the time allotted. Yeah. So I, you know, I don't have the ability to like especially like with this year, I knew some students that took the semester off because they didn't want yeah. to go to school online. And I kind of was forced to go with however the school wanted it. And I definitely feel like in the future, I'm going to look back and wish that I was able to yeah. soak up the experience yeah. a little bit more. And that's one of the issues with our current education system. You know, I mean, you have to borrow so much money. Most people have to borrow so much money just to survive, you know, just to eat and, and sleep in a, in a real bed, just to go to school and learn. It's it's hard to feel like you have any room for, you know, anything else in your life. Uh, it becomes everything. And looking back, I don't, I don't have regrets about it. Uh, it's just, you know, it's tough, tough to, to be young and... You know, have all these dreams that you want to, you know, experience all these things. And for the most part, you're studying organic chemistry and preparing for the next, you know, final or whatever. Yeah, there's definitely a, like a grind to it. And there is yeah. there is something beautiful in that, though, like getting that experience of like just learning how to grind stuff out and getting good, sure. you know, putting your nose to the grindstone. But yeah. there is there is still an air of like, oh, well, all my friends are doing whatever and I'm over yeah. here. Yeah. And, it, and in some ways it pays off. You know, I, I was, you know, getting done with dental school and working while a lot of my friends were going back to school because uh, they didn't find a lot of satisfaction in the careers that they kind of fallen into. Um, but then again, I look back and they had a lot of fun and I didn't. And I'm not, I'm not, I don't really think, I don't want anybody to think that I'm, you know, victimizing myself or feeling like I was, you know, it was my choice and I worked hard to get where I'm at. Um, but I guess it's an argument for, uh, 
maybe like universal basic income or something like I feel like people should be given the opportunity to kind of figure out what needs to be figured out in their life instead of jumping straight into the grind because once you get done with school you know you go to work and all you have to do is put in about 30,000 days and retire and then you're done yeah so, <laughs> it's like you, you jump from one thing to the next and you're always grinding and at some point you're like where is this going uh not to be depressing i don't want to like be pessimistic about it but you know there's there's uh one of one of my wife's uh friends actually the boss of her she was a nanny for this family and the, the wife was a physician and the dad was an executive somewhere and they had two kids and she was like look take the time while you're young take the time to do some things you wouldn't only do um when you get older you'll have income you'll have flexibility financially but you won't have time and, and flexibility you know in just your everyday life to just jump up and try something else so we did we went to Thailand for two two months for like an exchange program and kind of experienced that. We did go to like France, I think, for a week or something. And so we did some stuff like that. But um, yes, it's a, it's a really hard thing to balance. You know, you you realize at some point um, you can't you can't play around and explore forever unless you've got like a trust fund or something. But you know, most of us don't have that, so. Yeah, so it's, you got to balance. You got to make some decisions and decide which direction you're going to go and, and start working that way. So, yeah, I would so, say. Go ahead. Oh, I was just say yeah. So just have a noble destination, and then also make sure that the journey's enjoyable as well. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I think you're exactly right. Make sure the journey uh, doesn't take you know a backseat to the destination. The journey is 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 valuable in and of itself, and you know, sometimes the destination will change. Uh, and sometimes you'll find yourself running into a dead end. So if you're going to get anything out of the journey phase of it, you know, you have to kind of program that in, in the process. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what was the dental school experience like for you? Oh, uh, in general, like, not fun. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if it's just my school. I've talked to other people who went to other dental schools and they were like, no, I enjoyed my, my dental school experience. I went to the, it was called the Medical College of Georgia at the time. I think they changed the name to like Augusta University or something like that. It's in Augusta, Georgia. And um, most of the people that were my, in my class and went to school with me had a, pretty much the same feeling that dental school was a necessity. It was a job. You just show up, you know, you get it done. You study hard, you do your lab work, uh, but sometimes you just gotta, you know, trudge through it and, and just make it happen. I think a lot had to do with the people that were there, the professors and things. Um, to be honest, I think a lot of them were just unhappy. Unhappy people, unhappy with their professional careers, unhappy with their personal lives. Uh, and, and so they just kind of weren't happy people to be around and they made it kind of miserable to to learn in that environment. And like I said, it could it could have just been my school. And maybe the school's changed. I don't know. But uh it just wasn't it wasn't fun. It was just kind of one of those things you have to get through. And once I once I got into pediatric dentistry, my residency was a lot more enjoyable. The people that I was working with wanted to be there. They enjoyed working with the residents and uh the program itself was good. I enjoyed it. Uh but you know I think I think one semester we had like 22 finals, you know, I mean, it's just ridiculous the pace that you have to go through in dental school and or any professional school, medical school, I'm sure it's the same or pharmacy school or something. Um, you know, cramming 22 finals into a matter of like eight days. It's just an impossible task. And at some point you just have to accept that like, you got to do it. You know, you got to jump in, you got to take the final. You might not be ready. Maybe you only had half the time that you wanted to really prepare for it, but, you know, uh, you just got to do it. So that was uh, that was a, an intense experience. And then studying for board exams, we typically spend a couple of months at least studying, you know, 8 or 10, 12 hours a day for board exams. Uh, and then trying to do schoolwork around that was kind of tough. Uh, so it was intense. It was a lot of work. Uh, I'm glad it's over. If I had to do it again, you know, I guess I would. Um, there's no other way to 
become a dentist if that's what you want to do. But the, yeah. it, it's, to sum it up, like I had a friend who told me this and it kind of stuck in my head. The, the worst day of being a dentist is better than the best day of residency. And the worst day of residency is better than the best day of dental school, if that makes any sense. Like, you just kind of, for, for a few years, you just kind of got to accept that, like, this is your life and this is how it's going to be. And it will be over one day. Uh, you just got to get through it. Just grab your ankles and, and grit your teeth, you know, and make it happen. Yeah, so it's just like you have to start at the hardest possible thing and then trudge up and go. Right. But the right, views exactly. so worth it. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be really nice if you could kind of sprinkle those days out through the rest of your career, you know, like do a, you know, one week a year for the next thirty years or whatever, but yeah, it's I guess it'd be more than that, probably like four weeks a month out of the year. I don't know. Something like that. But uh it's a necessity and, and some schools might be different, but uh there's just a lot to get through and you know it's overwhelming and it's not quite like anything else you've experienced in life. You go to school at like, I think classes typically started at eight. Uh, and then, you know, you get, you get like 30, 45 minutes, maybe an hour for lunch, but most of the time you're trying to squeeze in some studying or lab work or, or something like that, or trying to schedule patients if you're in clinics. Then you get done with, with classes and lab work and clinic about five. And then you, you know, grab something to eat, and you're studying or doing lab work or prepping for the next day, typically for several more hours. And if it's a, you know, a busy week, you're probably going to go till 10 o'clock or midnight, maybe one or two in the morning, and then get up and do it the next day. So you, you learn to kind of live off of very little sleep and very few calories for weeks at a time. And then, you know, you get a short break and you just crash and you just bed. And I don't know how anybody has kids in dental school and, and gets it done. But, uh, you know, I, I never was able to work during dental school. There's no way you, you can have it. Well, I guess you could. I just don't see how I could have done it. You just yeah. can't really hold a job and do dental school. Yeah, I know a couple people that had kids during dental school. And it's like hearing that makes makes what they did seem like an impossible feat yeah it would be tough i think you have to sacrifice somewhere you know you either sacrifice the relationship you have with your your spouse or your kids or you sacrifice your performance in dental school um and some people you know they can find that balance and, and they're happy with it um but i knew a guy one of the guys in my dental school class wanted to have 10 kids in 10 years and he i think he had six kids by the time he graduated but his wife, you know, she did everything. He came to school and uh, worked and studied at school. And then, you know, she was at home with the kids all day. So that was, I don't know, that's, that sounds pretty rough to me, but some people do it. Yeah, it definitely makes it out to be, like, it's not even make it out to be, but it definitely makes it, like, a huge sacrifice. And you yeah. certainly have to have, yeah. if you're going to go that route, you have to have, like, a rock-solid relationship with your spouse. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You've got to. You've got to be on the same page. And even then, it's difficult. You know, I'd come home and my wife would say, hey, can we go do this tonight? And I'd say, I got to study. And she'd say, well, can't we just take like 30 minutes to go do this? And I'd say, I don't, I don't even have 30 minutes. Like, I've got this exam tomorrow. I've got this project due tomorrow. I literally don't have 30 minutes. And it was hard for her to understand, uh, you know, that experience. Um, but after it just takes a lot of communication you really got to be working constantly to be on the same page about things you got to explain schedules and, and expectations uh you you've just got to be communicating like all the time yeah and it seems like there's a big factor that time management plays into that as well mm -hmm. yeah that's yeah, you definitely gotta you gotta be able to manage your time really well uh manage your expectations and just do the best you can. Uh, and, and sometimes you just have to say, this is, this is all I got. Like, this is my best work today. And I know it's not, uh, you know, everything that I need, I, I, you know, given more time and more energy, I could do a better job. I know I could, but this is all I can do right now with the circumstances that I've been given. And you have to learn to accept that, which is really tough. If you've gone through, you know, undergrad and you've taken the DAT or the MCAT or something, you've, you try to be, get really good grades and be super prepped for every exam in undergrad. Uh, it's a weird feeling to say, I haven't even studied for this exam. I've got four hours. 
I need, you know, 20 hours to really get ready for it. You know, you have a big pharmacology test in middle school coming up and, you know, you've got a hundred different drugs you've got to memorize and you know, you only have time to really do half that. Um, and so you just have to learn to accept that. It's kind of frightening at first because you show up to a test that you know you are not prepared for. And uh, you, you just have to say, well, it is what it is. I got to move on. You know, take the test. Take five minutes to vent to your buddies or whatever after the exam over, over and talk about how terrible life is. And then, you know, pack it up and, and move on to the next thing. Yeah, so just commiserate and then move on. Yeah, I think it's really important to give yourself that that moment. You know, even in your victories, you know, you get a really good score on something, take a few minutes, you know, like go buy yourself an icy and pat yourself on the back and say, hey, you know, that was great. And then move on. You know, you had a bad day, go sit in your car and like turn on some heavy metal music and scream at the top of your lungs for five minutes or whatever, cry if you need to, you know. Uh, <laughs> And then say, okay, it's done. You know, like I'm still alive. I'm still here. You know, uh, I'm going to move on. I'm going to try again tomorrow. Uh, but the good thing about dental school and a lot of these professional schools is if they, if they fail you out, if you get kicked out of school, uh, they lose money. And that's a lot of money. I mean, they're, they're making, you know, tens of thousands of dollars off of each student every year. And the state probably gives each school funding. If it's a state school, the state gives funding as well. And they base that off of uh, enrollment numbers. So, you know, if you drop out or you fell out, uh, the school loses, you know, it could be six figures by not having you. You're you're a customer, you know, and if they don't have enough customers, they lose money. So it was really, really almost impossible to fail out uh, of any particular level of dental school, any one of the four years. Um I think there was like one or two people in my class that got held back. One of them got caught uh, cheating as a substantial issue. And then the other one had some family issues that came up and, and uh, the administration was able to work on getting him out of school for a short period and then back in with the class behind us. And he graduated about a year late. But uh, yeah, so the you know you got a safety net. Like the, the net is there. Um, but who wants to spend more time, you know, in a in a miserable stage of life than you absolutely have to? So you're sitting there just like, okay, just get up and, you know, go do it again tomorrow, make it happen. And, and I don't want to say every day was bad. Um, it wasn't always terrible. It's it's just like a, it's another level of grind. And you got to take the moments that you can get uh, when you get them. I do feel like when you get to that point in life, uh, my biggest piece of advice when you get to like dental school or, or medical school or something, there's a saying, you know, that, that the last person in your graduating class, the lowest, you know, GPA or whatever is still called doctor. You know, the doctor, the, the student that gets all A's gets called doctor. The student that gets all D's or whatever gets called doctor. Um, but if you want to go into a residency program, if you want to specialize in something, if you've got your mindset on something else, even if you don't know if you want to specialize, the harder you work, the better grades you get, the more opportunities you're going to have open to yourself when you get to the point where you can make that decision. If you uh, if you kind of screw yourself over and, and don't have the grades at some point, you're going to probably regret it because then you're going to be locked into, you know, doing whatever options you have available instead of maybe going for something that you were you're more excited to pursue. Uh, gotcha. Um, so what was the application and the enrollment process like with getting into dental school, like physically getting into it? Uh, so the applications, I think I sat down with a, with a counselor or something like that, like after the first two years of, of undergrad. And you've got to take the DAT. You've got to study for I remember studying like three weeks for the DAT. And I thought that was like an eternity. Uh, but then you get into dental school and you study for like two or three months to take it, uh, a board exam. So you got to prep for the DAT. Um, you got to get all your classes in order and stuff like that. And then I don't remember exactly when I started to apply, but I wanted to apply and get into dental school without an undergrad degree. Uh, I know that it's possible to 
do like three years in undergrad and go to dental school. At least it's it's on paper it's possible. And I tried to do that and it didn't work out the first year. So I applied to like 10 or 12 schools, I think that first year and I got like two or three interviews. Um, and the fact that I wasn't gonna graduate with a degree was a big, a big reason why I didn't get in that year. Um, so yeah, not my best work there. I, I probably could have saved myself some money and some time and some headaches uh, and some stress if I had just said, "Hey, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna apply when it's you know more likely that I'll get in." But I was, I think I graduated like the middle of December, and so I knew that I was gonna have uh, seven or eight months before I started school if I got into school. And I thought, well, maybe I could get in like the semester before. I'll only be a semester short from getting my undergrad degree. What's the big deal, you know? But if a school has to choose between two students and they're they are identical in every single way except one has an undergrad degree and one is six months short, they're going to take the one that has the undergrad degree. It just it just shows to them the level of commitment and perseverance. Uh, whether it's true or not, it might not even be accurate, you know. Uh, I think I would have done just fine without an undergrad degree. But another one of those instances where I probably could have just said, hey, you know what? I'm going to graduate in December. I don't have to go to school. I don't have to start dental school for like another seven or eight months. Let's sit down and plan out like some really good, uh, you know, journey uh, type things, you know, focus on the experience of getting there more so than getting there. Uh, and that's when we went to Thailand for a couple months. Once I realized I wasn't going to dental school that first time around, uh, I had to reapply. I think the next time I applied to like 20 or 25 schools, uh, I went to probably, I think I went to 10 or 12 interviews. Um, and I got accepted to like maybe five or six of those places. I forget how many exactly. Um, but I ended up going to the cheapest school. It was an in-state school. Um, I don't know if that that's a decision I would make again. It'd be tough. There were some other schools I think would have been a much better experience. They just would have been, you know, twice as much money because they were out of state. Uh, and that's a tough decision to make. You know, you know, you got to pay back your student loans at some point. So how much is it worth you to go to a school that you're going to be happier at? Um, applications were kind of annoying. Took a lot of time. Uh, but the better, you know, you are getting that stuff done, organizing yourself. Uh, I remember like just sending in essays or whatever application. I didn't even like proofread a lot of that stuff, you know. Um, so I would, you know, don't do like I did. Just just take your time and get it done and just accept it for what it is. Um, what else? Thank you. Still there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, sorry. Um, yeah, um, then you get into dental school, you know, they have these, um, they have these admittance councils or something, uh, uh, what's it called? They have like a group of students and teachers and professors and, and uh, people who it's their job to get together and interview the, the, the applicants and uh, then see if they can, you know, figure out who they want to come to the school. Uh, it's good to know some of those people. It's hard to figure out who they are sometimes, but it's good to know them. Uh, and what I finally had to do was I called one of the administrators who was in the administrator, the admin part of things. Uh, and I just said, hey, look, I want to get into school. What can I do? And she sat down with me, went over my whole application and basically said, you can fix this, you can fix this, you can fix this. Um, and it's good to go into that experience without any kind of pride, you know, without any kind of ego, because you're going to want to hear them say, no, 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 you're perfect. Just just apply again. You'll get in. But if you can kind of check your ego, I remember coming out of that being like, you know, she doesn't know what she's talking about. She doesn't know me. Uh, but I still went through and, and did all the stuff she told me to do. And I got in. So it worked. I just I just shouldn't have spent so much time like, you know fuming inside about my shortcomings yeah exactly, so yeah. yeah so it definitely helps to go into that sort of situation knowing that you don't know everything and yeah that... absolutely yeah just walk into it going i i know i suck you know like <laughs> i know i could do some things like i'm not i'm not 
you know, completely incapable, but I realize I'm just, you know, a guy in my early mid twenties. I really don't have a lot of stuff going on for me, you know. I'm begging you, just please like help me help me round out some of these rough spots and so I can get to the next level. And that's that's dental school and that's what we used to talk about, you know, all the time. Just grab your ankles, you know. I mean, just bend over, grab your ankles and just accept whatever, you know, they're about to to inject into your life, you know, a big kick in the pants or something, you know, and it's kind of a rough way of viewing it, but, uh, you know, the sooner you just kind of accept uh, the stuff that you're facing and, and realize it's not personal. They, I mean, most, my biggest goal at dental school was to, was to be so far under the radar that nobody even knew my name. And there's a lot of professors, I swear, after four years, they still didn't know my name. Uh, and that's all right, because that means I never got on there. If you get on certain people's radar, you're only going to be on their radar because they are out to get you, you know, and uh, it was better just to kind of stay off their radar. And There are some professors that were great, and I got to know them, and, and they were really fantastic, but I'd say the majority of them, it was better just to kind of keep your distance and check the boxes as they told you to and, and just treat it like a job, you know. Uh, yeah. Just try not to screw up too much. Try not to screw up too much. And, and the people who had jobs before dental school, you know, they had the experience of working for a boss or a manager that was just, you know, a complete idiot or just terrible at their job. People like that who had learned, you know, to accept things that way, you know, show up, you go eight to five, treat it like a job. You know, you realize you're moving towards something else. And it was hard for me because I, I, I'd always just been in, in school, you know, and, uh, one of my classmates was like, man, this is way better than, than the crappy job I had before I came to dental school. He's like, go work for a terrible company for three or four years. He's like, and come back here and you'll really, you'll, you'll appreciate it a lot more. But yeah, um, I wish he was another guy who, you know what, at the beginning of every semester, he had a decent laptop. He had a decent printer and he had a ton of, of printer paper. And I just never wanted to spend the money on a printer or printer paper. I kept everything on my laptop. And he would just print out everything. He'd go buy these three ring binders. He would print out all the, the PDFs, all of the PowerPoints. He'd print out everything from the very beginning of the year. He'd organize his stuff. And I mean, he graduated top of class. I think he was number one or number two. And I was probably number 15 or 20 or something like that. And it's not a matter, I mean, he wasn't smarter than me. He, he did some things better than me, but I did some stuff better than him. But he was just organized, you know, his life just made more sense day to day. And, uh, yeah, that that was something I really could have done better. And it's still it's still something I work on today. Just trying to be more organized, think ahead, plan ahead, you know, like put a little bit of effort in, you know, on the front side and it's going to make things so much smoother. But I, I'm the type of person I just like to jump in. I just like to, you know, I'll accept the chaos if I can just get started. I hate sitting down, trying to plan things out and, and looking at the details and, you know, it's something I'm working on. Yeah, that's something I've worked on a lot this year uh, as well. Because I, I noticed, especially as far as like time management goes, I was talking with my co-host Ronnie, and we're talking about like what I do with my time, and we came to the conclusion that there's a lot of fluff that makes me feel like I'm busy. But when you, <laughs> like, yeah, when you break it down, it's like, oh, you're just like swimming yeah. around for three hours a day. Right. Right. So, yeah, that that uh, level of organization. Uh, has been something I've been focusing yep. on as well as like physical organization. Cause I've always been a mess. Yeah. And we, we just got this new apartment not too long ago and we were fortunate to find one that had two bedrooms. So we turned the second bedroom into a little home office and that has been, I would say it has been very beneficial to me to yep. have my own space for productivity. Yeah, I think that's huge to have a space where you go into it and you know that this is what your your job is. You know, you're you're here to do a certain thing. When you when you mix up your space, I never had that middle school. My buddy, speaking of my my friend who graduated at the top of the class, in his house he owned a house. Um, but you don't have to have a house. It could be an apartment. It could be it could be a one bedroom studio. You know, he had a spot. He had a, he had a little room. He had a desk. He had a printer. Like, that's where he went to do all of his school stuff. And uh, he was very dedicated about it. I, I was kind of of the opinion, you know, I don't want to spend, 
you know, the time and the money and the energy setting up something like that. I'll just use my laptop, you know, wherever I go, I'll take the laptop. But it's easy to let other things bleed into that space because you don't have a defined, you know, physical boundary to create that kind of thing. So I think you're on the right track. And uh, even at home now, I don't have like an office space, but there's certain things I'll come up to my office to do because I know if I go to my office and sit at my desk in front of my computer, I'll do it. But if I'm sitting at home, there's, you know, a 90% chance that I'll probably screw around, not get it done, get demotivated, get distracted, and then have to go up to the office to do it anyways. Yeah, well, because you got three kids, two dogs, and a sick yeah. Land Cruiser. You got plenty of things to distract you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, my dog just had puppies. And, yeah, I mean, it's so easy to find other things to do. And, and I mean, with Netflix and YouTube and stuff, I mean, we had that in middle school. Uh, it was pretty new. Like, YouTube was, was pretty new when I got to middle school. But, I mean, we would get distracted with, with goofy YouTube videos and stuff all the time. Uh, and it's just, it's so hard to kind of carve out that space in your life where you're not going into that stuff. Yeah, I, I did something recently. I deleted Twitter off of my phone because I noticed that it took a ton of my time away. And it was just sitting there, like like, when I was getting ready to do something. I would sit and like while my brain was warming up, I'd turn on Twitter and yeah. kind of scroll. And then next thing you know, hour and a half later, it's time yeah. to bet. Yeah. Yeah. So like that's a huge time suck. I mean, I'm kind of a news junkie and I find myself just all the time filling in little gaps in the day, just reading like the news. I don't even care. Like most of it's stuff I, I really don't care about, but it's just a, uh, it's just something to do. It's just a distraction. Um, yeah. Which here's another thing. It doesn't have anything to do with dental school, but it kind of goes in line with this is I've learned about myself. And I think this applies to a lot of people, but I definitely know it applies to me. Uh, I have a certain level of anxiety and I think anxiety is like a double-edged sword. In some ways it, it can help you get prepared for things that can drive you to, to study and to work hard so that you don't have to face, you know, certain hardships in the future. But it also uh, can, can distract you and drive you to do some things that, uh, help you kind of escape uh just normal everyday life and for some people that can become a serious problem you, you know like a drug addict or alcoholic or something like that but i think for me like reading the news online shopping uh just browsing like reddit or something like that it's just uh an escape mechanism for me uh, and i'll get these little projects in my mind I'm like hey what if i built this or did this or did that and it's like if i put half of that energy into stuff i needed to do I'd be so much better off, but I, I just use it as an escape from my anxiety because it kind of, it's a medication for me, you know, it's like, uh, finding a way to, to kind of tone down those voices in the back of my head that say, Hey, you got to get this stuff done. Like, this is a big deal. You got to do this. It's like, ah, you know what? I'm just going to go distract myself with a, a, a goofy YouTube video. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I finally kind of recognized that, um, a few years ago and one of the things that really helped me was taking zoloft um and i don't think that that's necessarily going to help everybody but uh i always just i just you know we grew up in a society which is like you know don't just don't be so nervous just don't get so worried i heard that from so many people growing up just don't be so worried or just you know just relax um but but for me especially i just you know it's hard for me to do that under certain circumstances and especially you know going to school working having kids you know being married like there's a lot of weight on your shoulders and that anxiety can help you and it can also you know cause a lot of distractions so uh zoloft worked a lot for me it worked really well and and once i started realizing that that a lot of those side effects came from my anxiety you know there's a lot helped kind of decrease my anxiety and help me realize uh some of these little things that i do are not because it's helpful or because I even want to do them. It's just, it's just an anxiety response. And so, yeah, definitely learn for me in that regard, like learn to recognize those things early and find things that work to kind of keep you from, from letting that type of thing suck your life from, from getting things done that, that could be more productive. Yeah. That's, that's something I was thinking about um, the other day. We we're, recording a podcast and I, I noticed that my brain was just like getting ahead of myself and I'd start thinking about things that weren't like 
related to what the podcast was on. So it got me thinking that maybe it might be beneficial to me to take like something like Ritalin or something to kind of yeah. wrangle that in. Yeah. And, and it might take, uh, you know, I know I've talked to people who, you know, they started out on Zoloft and it just really didn't do anything for them. Uh, and they've gone to other things or people who, you know, have adult AD or ADHD or something like that. My dad, uh, turns out my dad has severe sleep apnea. Uh, you know, and he, he sleeps with a CPAP machine now, but, um, he's always like his whole, as far as he remember, you know, his whole adult life, he just felt like he couldn't focus on, on the task at hand. And he went from job to job. He had a really hard time keeping, uh, career paths going. Um, but then he got diagnosed with the sleep apnea and he realized that his sleep was just terrible. And now he's like a different person, you know, like he's very more, he's much more present and much more able to focus on things. Uh, he's a happier person. Uh, so yeah, I mean, everybody's, everybody's got something else that they're dealing with, but I would say almost everybody I know of has some kind of, uh, obstacle, whether it's, you know, anxiety, depression, uh, it could just be, uh, you know, OCD, could be ADHD, could be sleep apnea. Could, I mean, there's, there's so many different things. Some people have multiple issues that, uh, Create, uh, create that kind of obstacle, but I yeah. wish I, I wish I kind of identified that earlier in life. I think maybe my anxiety caused me in dental school to get to get really negative, and to probably see that in a different light than I would have maybe if I could have managed that better. Yeah, I definitely see. It's like I get, I get what I believe is a little bit more than the right amount of anxiety because it's I. And I've been learning to use it to push me into things that mm -hmm. I otherwise wouldn't want to do because, you know, you'll get anxiety about it and kind of run away. But I've been trying to rewire my brain to see that anxiety response as like mm -hmm. a, an invitation to try something. Like, I, I remember the first couple uh, episodes of the podcast we did, I was super nervous for like the first 15 or so minutes, just like... Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's just like such a crazy thing because you're like, okay, well now I have to get my thoughts right or at least deal with the consequences of yeah. not not getting my thoughts right. Yeah. And people can hear it. And yeah. yeah. yeah you can't so really it's been, at that point. Yeah, exactly. Like you put yourself like, you know, it's what do they say? Like imagine everyone in the crowd naked, but right. it's more so like Oh, you're standing naked in front of the crowd. Right, right, yeah. So yeah, and when I when I started doing dentistry, you know, uh, seeing patients uh, in my own practice, you, you get that kind of feeling again. Like, especially with with kids and parents, you got a kid in the chair who's maybe not super happy to be there. You've got a parent who's sitting there staring at you, uh, you know, judging your your skill, the way you interact with their child. They've got their own emotions to deal with. They're nervous. They're stressed out. You've got an assistant next to you who's trying to figure out what you're going to do next and how they can be prepared for it. And, uh, you know, I finally had to, I would get so tense. I would get so tense. And I realized after taking my Zoloft that a lot of that was my own personal anxiety, uh, creating kind of a fear cycle, you know, this, this response to, to a threat that I was perceiving from all these other environmental factors. And uh, I had to stop and just remind myself, like, I have to physically stop, take a breath, and remind myself, like, today we're fine. You know, we have food to eat. You know, we've got air conditioning. We've got electricity. We're going to get in our cars and drive home and sleep in our beds with our pillows. You know, like, life is okay. Maybe this exact moment isn't perfect. But nobody, you know, nobody's nobody's life is in danger here. And I think, uh, I think because we don't necessarily run into actual life-threatening situations very often... It's easy for us to lose uh, lose perspective on what is actually life threatening. What is actually a good cause for an increased level of anxiety uh, compared to what we're facing now? And then how can you kind of channel that energy? How can you be present and accept the current you know uh, circumstances, but also realize it's just passing. You know, it's just a moment. It's just uh, a few seconds, a few minutes, maybe even a few hours, where you know, life is not going to be what it could be, but you're fine. You're absolutely fine. Like, you just need to kind of breathe. Uh, yeah. But that's 
I wish I had learned to do that years ago. It's taken me a lot, and I still run into issues where like I'm not, I'm not quite following that mental thought process, uh, and I have to stop and remind myself, hey, take some deep breaths. Like, let your brain relax a little bit. Let your, you know, your arms, your legs, your back. Let every let some of that tension go, and just kind of step step out of this moment. And, and see it from a, uh, a big bird's eye view and realize it's just a moment. It's just, it's just a passing moment. Um, if, you can, if you can master that skill early in life, you're so far ahead of where I'm at right now. That's a big yeah. deal. Well, and it seems like nine times out of 10, that response, you know, the anxiety response, it's like, oh, the, well, this is it. You're going to screw up. You're going to lose your business. Right. Your life's right. over. The next yeah. day, nothing happens, and then nothing happens right. the day after yeah. that. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Exactly. I think you're so dead on with that. It's so easy to project all of that anxiety into other parts of your life. Yeah, I mean, so you have a bad experience at work or at school or something, and and you you almost project this kind of negativity onto the people around you that have no idea. That, that you're you bombed a test or that your you know your your day with this one patient didn't go so well i mean you go home and you're you're thinking a certain thing about yourself or about the way things went down and you're just assuming that the people around you probably have that same perspective uh or that they would if they knew the, the stuff that you do but they don't and most of the time they don't care like it's not a big deal to them uh you know, they, the people around you, they should, I think, hopefully, want good things for you and say, hey, you know what? We all have bad days. We all have, you know, moments that don't go so well. And But it's easy. It's so easy to be like, oh, this is going to ruin this part of my life. And then that's going to ruin the next part of my life. Uh, and that's where, like, panic attacks and anxiety attacks and stuff like that come from. When I, when I first bought my practice, you know, I had I had my mortgage, I had my practice loan, I had my uh, student loans. I think it was like well over a million dollars in debt. And I would wake up every morning just crunching the numbers in my head. How much money do I have to produce today? How much money do I have to collect by the end of the month? You know, what is taxes going to do? What about what about saving for retirement? What about you know paying for you know medical insurance and all this stuff? And by the time I had like my clothes on, I was I was like two seconds from an anxiety attack, and I just had to remind myself. Just get to the end of the day. Just get to the end of the day. Like, just face today. Don't face any other days. Just face today. And and what's really funny is I came to work one day, and I was trying to just, like, mentally focus on that concept. And my partner, who had been working for about five years before I started working with him, I told her, I was like, you know, I'm just having, like, a really stressed out morning. I'm just telling myself, just get to the end of the day. And she laughed, and she's like, that's so funny. She's like, but you're doing better than I am. And I was like, what do you mean? She said, I tell myself every morning, just make it to lunch. Just make it to lunch. And I laughed with her. I was like, that's so funny. I was like, that's, a better, that's better than what I was doing. I was like, you know, because even getting to the end of the day sometimes is a little bit overwhelming. And she's like, yeah, just make it to lunch. And she's like, and sometimes I just have to say, just make it to, you know, to 10 o'clock. Just make it to 11. And she said, just remind yourself, like, this will all be over. This will all be over. Uh. It's just a matter of just be here, you know, just, just show up. Um, but that only works to a certain extent. And, and that's where the Zoloft really made a difference for me. And I realized that it was, it was a little bit of a, a detriment to my life to have to, to have to deal with that like every single day. And my physician, I brought it up to him uh, during an exam one time. And he's like, you know, let's try something. And he's like, just, just, Take take this Zoloft. He's like, just take it, see if it helps. And it was so interesting. I, I mean, for me, it made a big difference. The very next day, I realized that I don't like making eye contact with people. Um, I don't mind talking to people. I don't like making eye contact. But I'll, when I'm taking my Zoloft, I can hold eye contact. Uh, it doesn't make me uncomfortable at all. Without my Zoloft, I'm extremely uncomfortable making eye contact with people. And that affects the way people see you, perceive you. you. know, they they as a professional, as a practitioner, as someone who's treating their child, if if they perceive that you're avoiding their gaze or something like that, you know, that can that can communicate to them a certain lack of of trust or understanding or even knowledge. You know, uh, 
so it's it's really interesting the stuff that that you learn as you face a lot of these challenges uh it's just a matter of figuring out what works for you yeah eye contact has been something that i noticed in myself when i moved and started school that i had to like force myself into i i've got i've gotten a lot better but it's definitely like i i don't know what it is like i'll look someone in the eye and then it's like oh they see my soul they know i'm full right of it. right yeah exactly yes and some people i've talked to some people who are like that's crazy like that's the most ridiculous thing i've ever heard like why would you feel uncomfortable looking at people in the eye like i don't know i just do i just know it doesn't feel good and it's i think some people it's not a big deal some people i think like the, the whole introverted extroverted thing, there's definitely something to that. Uh, birth order, personality traits, like the stuff that makes us who we are. It's hard to realize not everyone feels that way about everything that you feel. Uh, and, and figuring out what's helpful and what's not is like a, it's a long process. Yeah, but it's definitely, it seems like it's worth going through the process because the yeah, result yeah. is so valuable. Yeah, I definitely think so. Uh, and in that regard, it's so hard when you're talking about the journey again, when you're going through that process, when the, when you know that society says, if you want this thing in your life, if you want to be a dentist, if you want to be an, uh, you know, a race car driver, if you want to be uh, a physician, if you want to be X, Y, Z, whatever it is, society basically has this path set out. And they say, you have to go down this path and you have to stay on it and you've got to fit into this to get what you want. And so for most of your early adult life, you're going to spend your time squeezing every bit of yourself into that expectation. And uh, it's, it's, I don't know if it's an unfortunate or not. It is what it is, but it, it creates uh, a certain amount of uh, turning the blind eye to your own personal responses to life, to, to how you feel about things, to what you think. Uh, and in some ways it's good because you're young and you don't really know any better and, and, you know, you need to be exposed to some of this stuff in order to realize how to do what you want to do. But then sometimes it means that you just stop listening to yourself. You stop listening to that, uh, that need, uh, and, and stop, you know, taking care of yourself because you stopped to value your own instincts. Uh, and then you have to go back and kind of isolate those and figure out what's working and what's not. So. I wish I'd spent more of my 20s and early 30s listening to myself uh, and trying to figure out how to how to make that work for me. Uh, I wish I'd spent my my 20s, particularly in early 30s, exercising, being physically active. I was so busy with school, I was so tired all the time. Um, I really didn't work out much. I didn't, you know, exercise all that much. Uh, but then when I had some more time and, and finally kind of accepted that the aging process was going to happen, whether I liked it or not, I did start to exercise more. And that makes a huge difference, especially in dentistry. I think back and shoulder uh, workouts are really essential. Strength training is such a, an important thing uh, when you're doing dentistry, just because you're, you, you're looking down and hunched over a lot. Uh, and you shouldn't be, but it happens anyways. And you've just got to take care of your body physically. Well, and there's no real way to mitigate that either, right? Like, just the way the chair's set up? Yeah, I mean, you can do certain things you have. I mean, there's chairs that are designed to keep your posture better, to keep it straighter. You've got those loops, you know, the magnifying lenses on your on your um, glasses that you can wear so that you can sit farther away and see closer up. You've got, you know, a headlamp that you wear so you can see better. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, the job is leaning forward over somebody's mouth and working in a tiny hole with with your hands and that just takes a toll on you you can you can lessen that effect with all these other things but it's it's not perfect and, and if you really want to last long i think the number one reason why dentists retire early or or leave the field early is because of back and neck and shoulder problems so you've got to accept that as a problem and deal with it early when I was in residency, I'd only been in residency for like 18 months. And I remember treating uh, a kid in the OR uh, under general anesthesia and not being able to like, the next day I couldn't put on my seatbelt. I couldn't like reach behind me to put on my seatbelt, put on my seatbelt. So I had to like turn my whole body 
and grab it. And my shoulders and my neck were just so tight. I, I, if I had to change lanes, I had to turn my whole upper torso to look behind me because I couldn't turn my neck. I was like, man, this is not good. Like, um, I think I was 30, 31 at the time. And it might have just been a passing thing. Maybe it didn't have anything to do with dentistry. But I just remember doing that case in the OR the day before. I was in there for quite some time. And coming out the next day and being like, I can't even, you know, I think I think I took my shirt off uh, that night to get in the shower. And my, my shirt got stuck over my head because my arms were like stuck. I don't remember. It was something weird like that. And I was like, man, I'm too young for this. Like, what am I going to be like when I'm 40 or 50? Uh, and so that's what kind of kickstarted. I started just doing push-ups I did like five push-ups in the morning and five at night and then I would do like 10 and 10 and 20 and 20 and uh it just got to the point where you know I was stronger I was more physically capable of, of resisting those forces that uh work against you all day while you're doing dental work anyway yeah so the school has um it's called the human performance center and it's got all kinds of activities indoor soccer um indoor outdoor running track climbing wall it's like an olympic size pool super nice so we've been able to go there free to students which is always a plus we've been able to go there uh the last towards the end of the semester we go every morning before work and try and run like a mile or climb for 30 40 minutes just get a little bit of exercise in so that's been that's been something i've been working on is physical activity because i I didn't get the freshman 15. I unfortunately got the freshman 40. <laughs> and so it's been, it has been a struggle to say the least to yeah. kind of wrangle that and get back to where I was before. But it's, it's definitely like when we were working out a ton over the summer and stuff, I definitely felt way better for it. Yeah. Like I remember, I remember one night we went, I don't I think it was my idea, which is not, it, it was fun in the uh, looking back, but it was not fun at the time. We ran up and down the bleachers at the football game, mm. and I remember <laughs> driving home, and I could just could not feel my legs. Yeah, and like I remember running. It was like the last little set. I was running up the stairs, and my vision started to go black, and I was like, "You're never doing this again." <laughs> yeah. I would say the number one rule, like I have with working out, and I think this goes for anybody. The number one rule when working out is don't get hurt uh as you get older like small injuries when you're young not a big deal even some bigger injuries not a big deal but i know so many people who who typically take really good care of themselves but then they get hurt uh and it, it might be a shoulder injury a back neck injury something like that and it derails you you know forever and uh if you're i feel like if you're ever in doubt like don't hurt yourself i was doing some deadlifts a few weeks ago i don't necessarily like doing deadlifts but i do occasionally just because i feel like i should but um i did something and i felt like oh man that didn't feel great like maybe i should chill and i was like no no i'm gonna finish this workout i'm gonna do it and by the end of the workout, i was like oh that's the dumbest thing i've done in a long time like my back is definitely not feeling good and the next day it hurt really bad and uh it just really drove home that thought you know just don't get hurt you can always you can always try again tomorrow as long as you're not hurt but you get hurt you screw something up like it's going to live with you for a long time and, and it's going to screw up all those plans and then some so yeah yeah you're down for a while i, I remember yeah. i lifted a lawnmower at work into a customer's truck and i i think the way i twisted turns out when you lift something heavy you're not supposed to twist and... <laughs> yeah Learned that the hard way. I like lifted it up and like twisted to put it in the bed. And I don't know, I pulled something and it hurt really, really bad to like move my, move my torso for probably like a week and a half until that, whatever it was, I think it was like a muscle got uh -huh. put back into where it's supposed to go. And even like, so I broke my collarbone this year riding mountain bikes and I had to go through and get surgery done. Cause I, you know, I'm I'm pretty good at uh, messing stuff up. So <laughs> most of, most of the time uh, with collarbone breaks, they're pretty easy. You just put it in a sling, let it heal up. Not me. No, I broke it as clean as I could. So I had to have surgery. And they put a plate in with a bunch of screws. And to this day, so that was over the summer, I still get like 
it's still numb, still sore. And like striking any sort of like strike on there mm-hmm. will give me a considerable amount of pain. Yeah. It's really hard. It's a really hard pain to explain because it's like it's a dull pain, but it's also very sharp at the same time. Mm-hmm. So that's that's going to be fun to live with for the rest yeah. of my life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, it's why why not in twenty twenty? Yeah, when I break break yeah. my very first bone and have my very first surgery. Yeah, in twenty twenty is the best year for it. Yeah, Absolutely. might as well, you know. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, so back to back to dentistry and your career and all that. Did you ever get like a feeling like the imposter syndrome, like this particularly when you began to like operate out of your own practice? Yeah, probably a little bit. I don't remember it being like a defining thing for me. Um, I felt I felt that I definitely felt prepared. I felt like I had worked hard to get where I was, um, and I never really felt. Uh, like out of, out of place, you know, doing dentistry. And maybe that's just my own experience. I can see how people feel kind of like exposed or something when, when it's all on you. And and maybe that's kind of the feeling that I had dealt with originally. My anxiety was, was just feeling like it was all on me to make it work or not. Um, but it was just a matter of just saying, hey, you know what? I know what I know. I'm good at what I do. The dentistry is... After all, it's really not the hard part. Uh, teeth don't change. Uh, the teeth don't move. The kids do. You know, uh, <laughs> so it's just a matter of learning how to kind of juggle all those things at once. Uh, and it's I mean, still something I'm working on today. It's it's a really long process to manage all the different variables at once. Uh, and I think that's what makes pediatric dentistry uh, exciting. Unfortunately, most procedures don't last more than ten or twenty minutes. Uh, but it makes it a challenge too. And and that's probably where a lot of my anxiety came from is feeling like any any one, you know, experience for one family or one patient might bring it all down was uh was stressful for sure, especially knowing that I had to make payments on all these loans and stuff. Yeah, it's definitely definitely stressful knowing you have this giant weight on your back that's yeah could yeah. come crashing down at any minute. Yeah. Yeah, that safety net's yeah. kind of gone. Like, whereas in dental school, it's like, well, if you do mess up, you know, you've got these other people out there to kind of help you out and make sure you don't really screw up, or, or you know, you can hide behind the school if something really bad happens in your practice. Like, it's your face, you know, like it's going to go on the evening news. Local dentist kills a kid, or local dentist, you know, gets sued for whatever. Uh, that's that's uh, terrifying to think that that might happen. Yeah, that that probably could keep you up at night if you let it. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, it's probably one of the best motivators to do good work. Yeah, and you also got to realize, like, it's irrational. Like, do what you're trained to do. And if you find yourself in a situation where you're not comfortable, uh, stop. You know, just tell a parent, I'm not comfortable doing this. You know, they can't force you to do something you're not comfortable doing. And I've told parents before, like, if I if you if I have to do this with your child, you know, probably going to ruin my day and i just don't feel like i want to do that right now and they have to accept it they might be mad at you but they have to accept it they can't make that decision for you uh yeah it's it's a hard thing to to do especially when you when you realize you need to you need to do work to make money but sometimes the trade-off is not worth it yeah and i'm i'm sure most people like obviously there's going to be exceptions they're like oh well why won't you do it but i feel like most people would be like thankful that you're like hey this is a little bit out of my wheelhouse right i can yeah. refer you to someone that's yeah. better at this but i just don't think this is worth um, right. the effort that i'm going to put into it yeah and you, yeah definitely there's some people who, who don't appreciate that at all and you'll have to be able to just stand there and say you know this is life you know i, I can't i can't wave a magic wand and make this perfect but uh if you're willing you know we've got these other options and then sometimes you just have to accept this is not this is not your your problem anymore, you know. Uh, and if somebody has a, you know a grudge against you or is not happy about it, that's on them now, you know. Uh, you're just there to do what you can do. There's no reason for you to to overextend yourself or put somebody else in danger because you know a parent doesn't want to go to the inconvenience of of going to a specialist or something like that. Yeah, because then you, yeah, like you said, you're stretching yourself too thin. It's yeah. too much risk to 
try and appease one person for yeah. essentially a procedure that I, I would assume would cost the same for any other kid. Yeah. You know, I mean, there might be you know, extra costs because of, you know, they have to go in for an evaluation or a consult, and then maybe there might be a sedation, an IV sedation, or a general anesthesia involved, which you have to pay people to do that. But uh, a lot of times the parents just don't want to be inconvenienced. Right. They're just like, you know, it's your kid. This is part of being a parent. Uh, yeah. And it's, uh, you know, it's not up to me to, to compensate for whatever is going on in your life. I just can't, you know, I can be understanding. I can do what I can do, but it's not my job to compensate for that. Of course, you don't say it like that out loud. You just say, hey, look, this is what I can provide. Uh, and you have to do it in a way that, you know, makes them want to listen to you. Uh, the, the kids are your patients, but the parents are your customers and the parents have the keys in the car. And if the parents aren't happy with you, even if the kid loves you, the kid's not going to come back. And so you've got to kind of balance that uh, that dynamic just to make sure that you actually have parents bringing their kids to you and you're communicating well enough and, and being honest with them uh, and, and understanding at the same time. Yeah. So it's like you're working for two people in the same transaction. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You're trying to get multiple things done at once. You want the kid to, to have an enjoyable or at least not a bad experience and want the parent to, to feel heard and understood and taken care of yeah yeah but so when you got out of dentistry or got out of dentistry that's not not quite there yet right. um when you got out of dental school what was the process to become a practice owner uh just went out and looked uh there's different listings for jobs and practices for sale and stuff and i applied to, i don't know a ton of jobs sent out a bunch of just resumes to random offices just trying to find stuff and went to interviews and uh just ended up uh here in this practice it worked out really well i've got a partner that's fantastic and she wanted a partner from the very beginning she wanted somebody to buy in and and help kind of run the practice and so it's worked out jacob i do have to say i've got like five minutes left uh because i told i told my wife that i would be done by 3 30. okay yeah we're we're in we got about an hour hour okay. and ten so uh yeah we can wrap it up here then okay and if we if you want to continue some other day let me know i can do it another day just have to plan okay. ahead yeah we'll definitely trust me you'll be a recurring guest oh okay, okay we, great. yeah we'd love to have you on so anyway uh thanks for listening everybody that's adam goodwin uh like i said in the beginning is good friend of mine someone i see as a mentor and uh pediatric dentist thanks for coming on adam hey thanks jake appreciate it uh merry christmas take care merry christmas everyone <laughs> bye hey everybody thanks for tuning in to not my best work make sure you subscribe and stay tuned for more episodes coming soon